Hello. Welcome, listeners. Well, Hi. Welcome to Bisexually Lit. It's us. It's us. I'm Danny. And me, I'm Summer. Yeah, and we're Bisexually Lit. Uh, this is the podcast where we talk about movies, and sometimes we make you feel like you're like in... Uh, just like hanging out after a really late night with your friends and they got talking about some movie, you know, just kick back and get deep into conversation. We're the about... film nerds you keep in your pocket. Oh, that's cute. I, that's I, really cute. Let's let's uh, merch. merch. Just kidding. <laughs> no, I love that. Um, the idea that I could ever fit into anyone's pocket oh. is insanity. I love. I mean, they would have to be a... like a very they'd have to be just like a really, really big person. Yes. Maybe some sort of giant. Um, I love this <laughs> yeah. image in my head now. Fantastic. Anyway, uh, we so yay. we haven't recorded in a long time. The last episode that we recorded was Bones and All. So like six, eight Ooh, weeks, something like that. A little behind the curtain moment for y'all. Kind of we're we're uh, a little rusty, but we're we're brushing off the dust. Yeah. And honestly, like okay. My, I had the biggest smile on my face just when when you were like we're we're recording we're rolling I was like oh I didn't think I would get this euphoric it's yeah. been so long I, I missed know. this and like I was so we're gonna hang out with some friends later tonight and I texted in the group chat like oh we're about to hop on mic but I'll tell you when we're done and I'm like oh we're gonna hop on mic we are so official we're hopping on mic yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah but how how the hell are you Danny I'm good uh work has been good I've been taking a lot of long walks like my work is doing like a a step challenge thing oh fun um, so I'm trying to get 10,000 steps a day which is really hard when you sit at a desk all day yeah that's um, a lot but there's some really good places to go for walks we should go for a walk sometime together because it's amazing uh just like up there's a little canyon behind my house so pretty so cute and, and the then, weather's finally decent oh I love it I've been <sighs> living for it the fool's spring is is no more yeah we are now, officially in spring we're in that brief flash of spring that's only like three weeks long before it gets to be extremely hot, hellish so that'll be yeah fun. yeah um also it's my birthday next i was week. Uh, i was gonna say danny are you <laughs> fucking excited for your birthday next week i don't really have any plans okay well we'll talk okay i've been so thinking about on it. the day i'm doing a service project oh that's awesome um, but then we can do something next weekend hell yeah actually my parents are in town let's do something we'll figure something out yeah Wait, we are doing something oh yeah <laughs> we have plans tomorrow so <laughs> um yeah, I know. Um, how are you, Summer? I'm good. good. I'm really good. Yeah. How's your new job? It's going well. I'm, I'm so yeah, so I'm waiting tables again. It's been like six years since I've waited tables, and I'm realizing that these bones aren't what they used to be. <laughs> um, my knees are like, girl, what are you doing to me? No, but it's been really fun. Just good. honestly, it's been like low stress, and it's been good for me. Um, really enjoying it. Uh, yeah, but other than that, you know, I got to go down to St. George a couple weeks ago and Las right. Vegas, went to Meow Wolf on 420. Dude, I love That was Meow dope. Wolf. That's it. Okay, listeners, if you are ever in Santa Fe, New Mexico, Las Den- Vegas, Nevada, or Denver, Denver Colorado. Colorado. And there's now there's going to be one in Grapevine, Texas. Yes. They're opening that one up. Yeah. Is soon. that like DFW area? I, I think so. Somewhere in there. Yeah. Um, but it's like this immersive, like sort of psychedelic uh, art exhibit slash Otherworldly, warehouse, portally like, kind yeah, of. Like it's like, so, yeah, it's like an alternate <sighs> world. You should totally go. It's so cool. It is um, pretty mind-blowing. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> but yeah, other than yeah. that, I've been really good. And cool. I'm... Again, just 
we I you know it's it's been fun Danny did that awesome essay for our last episode which I so appreciate and enjoyed and it's really good to be back together in the same room totally I feel like the only times we've hung out in the last three weeks are just like to catch up on yellow jackets which is <gasps> in and of itself like an amazing should we thing just start to do? a separate podcast where we cover yellow jackets except oh there's only one episode left and now with the writer's strike like who knows when the next season oh my God, I know I did hear online somewhere that they're wanting to still do the next season of yellow jackets without writers and I'm like well that's a good stupid luck you assholes idea, but <laughs> Jesus I know we support the WGA like oh, yeah. if we I stand. lived in California I would be like coming out and giving you guys food because solidarity I love you so much yeah unions rock we wouldn't be like did you did you hear about how the Imag- Imagine Dragons showed up and did like a little acoustic concert yeah. for them yeah and people online were making the joke that like oh they're trying they're to trying people to, to go yeah, but I'm like no they the, were just trying to be they're nice they're trying to support them like imagine dragons are kind of like lame but I don't think they're bad people no yeah they just they knew what they wanted and they got it yeah and they're cringe because of it, but it's like, it's Whatever. fine. Let people they're, be cringe. I don't think they're hurting anyone. Yeah, exactly. So. They were definitely But also, not I can't hurt. really speak to that. I don't know. Yeah, who knows? <laughs> um, no, good people. Anywho. Did, yeah, anyway. Uh, yeah, so... Great. We are going to dive right in, and yeah. we're really excited to talk about this film. Danny and I, when we were trying to figure out what to cover next, I was like... It's been feeling a little white in here, not just because we're both white, um, but all of our films, except, no, that's not true, because Howl's Moving Castle, Hayao Miyazaki Mm -hmm. is Japanese, Um, but yeah, it's it's, been... We want to get some more diversity in here. Yes, so we're really excited to cover um, a Jordan Peele epic, 2022 Nope. I love this movie. So much. It's so good. It's so good. Um, I think I saw it on the night it came out. Oh, did you? Opening yeah. night? Okay, yeah. Tell me about your relationship. Um, so I, I've seen this movie probably like 10 times. Like, it's so, so good. It totally, like, it's kind of become a comfort movie for me. I get that. Um, I think I saw it on opening night, or if not opening night, like the next night. Uh, and I went with Zach, who is also in Winterhawk, and Adriana, his girlfriend, Check out Lower 48 if you yes. haven't. Another Check out podcast. Lower 48. Also, um, Adriana Adriana is posting TikToks now. Yes, she's our new social media yeah, she's account great. manager. So Amazing. if you look for Winterhawk Podcasts on TikTok, she's doing some content there. Anyway, um, so yeah, I went with them and we ended up hanging out in the parking lot for like half an hour afterwards, just like analyzing do. all the themes. Yeah, that's just you like have to. the thing that you do after it's, you see a movie. It's like mandatory if you yeah. see movies. Like us. we went and saw Renfield like what, a month ago? <gasps> yeah. And we ended up just like standing outside for half an hour talking about it. I actually really liked that movie. I loved Renfield I've seen so people much. tearing it apart online. I'm like, no. it was it was it was what it needed to be exactly yeah um but yeah anyway not we're not talking about Renfield we're talking about no to summer tell me about your relationship with this movie I saw it when it first came out as well not opening night definitely I was waiting for my brother uh who is I think a listener of the podcast are you listening Hank um and his wonderful wife Leah they live in like the Sacramento area in California and they were here over the summer um, and we went to see it together and 
we fucking loved it. Yeah. Like the whole time we were just like looking at each other, like with our like jaws, you know, dropped to the floor, yeah. like, holy shit, like it this was, is crazy. God, it was such a great, just like summer movie. Yeah, like, like a summer blockbuster. Yeah, because like I know that Jordan Peele is more known for horror, and this movie definitely has horror aspects mm-hmm. to it. But like it just felt like a an adventure yeah, western. What, yeah, like, it was. Yeah, it definitely dipped vibes. into multiple genres, which we'll get into. Yeah, uh, um, it, yeah. and it's so high energy too. It's like it's, it is. I feel like this is definitely one that I I would feel comfortable putting it on for literally anybody. Yeah, like I Honestly, would make my parents there's watch something this movie. for everyone. Exactly, and it reaches like a very large audience. Yeah. I think. and so like. Part of that something for anyone is the themes of this movie, which we're absolutely obsessed with. Yeah, we can't uh, wait. It's a fantastic movie on the surface, but then also it's just like, oh my God, there's so much to analyze. It's it's deep, man. Yeah. Um, But yeah, do you want to go ahead and give us like a brief synopsis and then we can get into some of the like production aspects that we want to talk about? Yeah. So this movie um, is the third movie from Jordan Peele and it is the story of a horse ranch and the people who run it and are trying to survive on it. Um, so, and, and there's more obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, so the con- so the main characters are OJ Haywood and his sister Emerald, and they own a horse ranch after their dad tragically dies at the beginning of the movie. Mysteriously their dad, and yeah, tragically. Um, so, uh, OJ, yeah, their names. Okay, Daniel so Kaluuya. yeah, OJ is played by Daniel Kaluuya. Emerald is played by Kiki Palmer, and like they're fantastic. Uh, their their chemistry as brother and sister is like fantastic. And their dad is played by Keith David, who I like adore. I will watch anything. He's with an him icon. In. He's so cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and like even though he's in only in it for us, like yeah. a single His time scene, is fantastic. cut too short. But yeah. yeah, love that um, he's in it. Yeah, so they are trying to make ends meet on this horse ranch. Um, and the horses are used specifically for media yeah, so purposes. So like they're it's a horse training ranch and like they they take them out to like movie shoots and stuff. So they're they're animal them. wranglers. Yeah. They they bring the horses onto movie sets. Yeah, but obviously after their dad dies, uh, the ranch is fallen on hard Struggling, times. Struggling, yeah. Um, and so we intersect with another character whose name is Jupe, who runs this kitschy little like old western style town next door and he yeah it's Um, such like a weird little like it feels very much like you're on a road trip and your parents are like when you're a kid i've definitely been to a place like we can make one pit stop on this road trip and you get to choose and like this is the one and the parents are like are you sure this looks a little weird and you're like yeah this looks awesome and you go and it's just like this yeah, really yeah. niche little yeah. amusement park. Um, <laughs> yeah, and uh, Jupe, the guy who does who runs it, he is a formal chi- former child star, and Played he's trying to get Stephen Yoon. Yeah, I can never Sorry. pronounce his, his I name. I think right. it's Yoon. Yoon. I, okay, I hope um, I'm pronouncing that right. Yeah, Apologies if I'm not. Yeah, so <laughs> they uh, he has a new spectacle that he is unveiling at uh, his little village. So. That's cool. Anyway, uh, horses start disappearing off of the ranch and Emerald and OJ think they start to see something in the sky. And very quickly you realize that this movie is about aliens and the search to not just escape the aliens, but get a good picture of them and change your life by doing that. Um, They 
interact quite a bit with Jupe. Um, Jupe has his own thing going on with the alien. Um, and they also run into several other characters. We get Angel, who works at a, uh, it's like a Fry's Electronics, mm-hmm. and he like helps them set up the equipment to capture the alien, uh, or, or like catch it on video. Um, I, th- I can't remember the character, the actor's um, name. His name is Brandon Perea. Perea. Is it Perea? <laughs> you speak you Spanish. P e r e a. Perea. Perea. Okay. Yeah. yeah. He is. Um. His descent is part Puerto Rican, part Filipino. Okay. So I'm assuming. I really enjoyed. It's a Puerto Rican last name. Yeah. yeah no, this really was like a breakout role for him. Yeah. And then great. we also have um, a director of photography that they bring on later named Antlers Holst, who he's got a very interesting vibe. I don't actually know who played him. Let me look that up. I feel like I knew it and then I didn't. I forgot to look that's things okay. up. That's okay. Keep going. <laughs> um, uh, nope, that's not it. Keep going. Sorry. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. And this story is the this story of how all these people intersect with the alien presence in this uh in this valley outside of Los Angeles. And um, it's kind of fascinating. It goes into a lot of themes about spectacle and I guess gays, like not gay like us, but like oh. G-A-Z, G-A-Z. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I would say that this the societal, gaze. this movie examines the gaze mm-hmm. of pretty much everyone. I don't yeah. know. Um, so yeah, that's kind of the synopsis. We'll go into a few more like, plot beats there's a whole thing about a chimpanzee that we will discuss further later but the thrust of the movie is the interactions with the aliens and trying to get evidence of the alien yes um by the way hmm? a little too late but michael wincott is who plays antlers he's fantastic i like his voice it's very um it's soothing yeah it's kind of rugged it's like and it's low and rumbly yeah. and, and he has a great voice yeah Definitely. Um, it's like great. if Tom Waits didn't smoke. Oh. I don't know. <laughs> I like that. Um, but yeah, thank you for that synopsis. Yeah, that was yeah, great. Thanks. Uh, Summer, tell us about like the tech stuff. Like I know you've got some things about like the director and, yeah. and like how the production worked on this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a little bit. So um, so this is obviously Jordan Peele's third film. Mm-hmm. Um Everyone was really anxious to see what he was going to do with this. This was in some ways kind of like his blink check film. You know, at this mm. point, the studios really trusted him and they were like, OK, like, because yeah. like his what first you got. two films were absolutely like gangbusters. They, they were they very had, successful. Yeah. They had Get Out and then Us, which are both horror movies uh-huh. that intersect a lot with like society and race and yeah. stuff. And so I think a lot of people were expecting more horror. Uh-huh. And what we got was a little bit there was a twist on it, yeah. which I really like. But still super rich commentary. Absolutely. And just as subversive I'd say as yeah. the rest of his work. Yeah. Um but it's really cool. So kind of hearing I watched a few interviews with him and read some of like his his uh background and and the process because he wrote and directed it Mm -hmm. um and he wrote this during the pandemic so i think the idea started well before um Mm -hmm. but when he was really at the peak of writing it and and pre-production and everything it was mid lockdown Mm -hmm. and he said that you know it was really important to him to capture the sky he wanted to make people have to look up right he did such a job oh my god it's and who better to pair with than the iconic Hoyt Van Hoytmer, um, the, the cinematographer? Yeah. yeah. So this is a man who's been working with Christopher Nolan for years. 
Um, and so he has the chops. I mean, yeah. he has really prove, proven himself as far as a DP goes. Mm-hmm. And they came up with this really cool thing. Ugh, let me finish a thought first. Mm-hmm. So Jordan Peele wanted to make sure that people, you know, he's like, people have been cooped up for so long. We're finally going to, by the time this releases, you know, hopefully theaters will be back open. And, and I want people to be able to, like, feel like they've broken out, right? Mm-hmm. And this movie really does, if you didn't see it in theaters, I'm so sorry. But that's okay even if you're watching it at home it literally you catch yourself like it's very immersive the way that they capture the night Mm -hmm. skies is amazing and we'll get into how they did that it's expansive Um, it really is and it it just forces you to look up and just kind of be in awe Mm -hmm. um so when he had the script prepared there are quite a few scenes that take place at night um so we all know like the classic day for night technique Mm -hmm. it's pretty simple you know you just shoot it during day and then you fix it in post you Mm -hmm. just use color correction and such to um, make it seem like it's filmed at night but in this case where they're filming on location in this ranch um, when they went for a location scout with um, you know the the key players the director specifically and Van Huitema they went and they were like there's no way we're going to be able to light this we don't want to do the typical day for night thing because we just we want to be able to capture a richer picture Mm -hmm. and so yeah because um, like color correcting too much in post for day for night it can really flatten it it definitely can you lose a lot of the depth yeah Yeah. like I think they did that quite a bit in like the mummy maybe and I know they did it in (laughs) Mad Max Fury Road and I think it was well done in Mad Max Fury Road but it still like kind of shortens how much of the image you have you know definitely Um, yes you lose some detail yes so the two were working together Jordan Peele and Hoyt and uh, Hoyt Van Hoytema has a really good relationship with Kodak and so they figured out and I don't know like all of the details of the technicalities but essentially what they did is instead of shooting classic day for night um sorry Instead of shooting classic day for night, they used a special rig that was made by Kodak for them. And it used um, a rig that they used for like capturing 3D effects. Oh. Oh. And so that's how they were. So they, they used an infrared camera. So it was a digital infrared camera because they shot this on film. Right. Mm-hmm. And so they used an infrared, which shoots everything in like a monochromatic light but you get like details and depth you get what and the cool thing is so it 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 captures like all of the foreground with a Mm -hmm. lot of light but with the sky it kind of makes it look darker and so what they did is they had two cameras on a rig shooting the exact same image at the exact same angle so that they could perfectly overlay the images and then they had the film running and then the infrared and they just took the two images and they laid them over each other so you still had the color like the depth and the richness of all the colors but you also had this effect that made it look like night without losing all the detail like you mentioned wow. okay so, so like really they didn't cool. actually do a color correction they just like made a they didn't rely filter, on that basically. yeah mm-hmm. okay yeah and then i yeah this this rig didn't exist before this that so, is so pretty cool. groundbreaking stuff it's, it's <laughs> absolutely like this movie they have like some film stuff in it like it was obviously made by a film nerd and i love that like the tech and the the way that they went about making this movie is just as dedicated to that detail that's of, like, true to that we love how film Essence. works we yeah. were innovating and finding new ways and absolutely. It's, it's absolutely incredible i love that so much this movie's so cool guys. Oh, it's so good um, um but yeah. yeah i think again just to say like 
we love to see a core cast that is, you know, diverse. Mm. Um, the whole, basically, Danny and I were talking about, like, mo- all of the main characters are people of color. Yeah. Um, and then it's just as important to have people behind the camera who are diverse. And so having Jordan Peele in the director's seat and also mm-hmm. as the writer, yeah. and it's his production company, um, Monkey Paw Productions, mm-hmm. like, we just need more of that. And I am yeah. so happy that it did well and it was received pretty well like I would say out of all three of his films this one maybe was received a little bit less enthusiastically as far as like reviews but I don't really give a fuck about that anyway and and I think it's so funny because like I feel like if this were his first film I mean sorry his second film maybe like people may have like liked it more it's like they had more specific horror expectations yeah there was like a certain expectation that came along with this movie and people felt weird about it somehow um and and maybe that's just because like you figure out what you like with a director and then when they try something new you're like "Eh, maybe not for me yeah but um okay so i have seen get out and us i really really like them both but i think this is the movie that i have like the most fun watching and analyzing like it's it's very rich and it's really like ambitious in its scope yes um and just like I don't know. Not that the other ones aren't, obviously, but this is the one that, like, I vibe with Speaks best. Speaks to you. Yeah. yeah. And um, and I agree with what you said earlier. Like, it, it does capture this, like, energy that is well-sustained. Like, mm. it doesn't feel like it's pushing us, you know, into a hole, like, too much all the time. Like, it's, it's high energy without being too in your face. And that's a hard yeah. thing to pull off. I know, especially after, like, you know action movies can be a little overwhelming sometimes yeah. like if you compare this like and this is not fair um to compare <laughs> this to like something like transformers but apples and oranges <laughs> yeah with with this movie you're absolutely getting like you know exactly where you're supposed to be looking like it's so concerned with the audience's yeah. relationship to the screen uh it for so many reasons eye, right for sure and it's it's so it's crafted rather than just kind of like thrown on yeah um and so i think that like it does it really sets itself apart as an action film and as like a genre film because you know it, it yeah it takes itself seriously it loves the audience and i kind of forgot where i was going with this but <laughs> it's, it's so great I like your thoughts especially <laughs> after like a decade or so of superhero movies like i I'm not currently slamming superhero movies, but I might be. <laughs> uh, right. I mean, I slam superhero movies all the time, but I'm not doing that not right what I'm now. Doing now. Um, but like, yeah, it's so there's just a different pace and a different kind of energy. Yes. Uh, that, and there's a different message. It's yes. very um, intentional and yeah. And this nuanced. Was, and this was very clearly made by someone who not he doesn't just love movies, but like he knows movies and oh, he knows yeah. how people relate to movies. Yes. He studied the craft in every way. Yeah. But he's also not afraid to like make it his own. Like yeah, which is totally. what people do who yeah. understand the history and the craft of it. They're exactly. able to then, you know, manipulate it into new ways. Yeah, once you understand like the the setup and the things that make a movie good, you're able to innovate in new ways. People always say, you know, you can't break the rules unless you understand them. Exactly. <laughs> and he knows the rules and understands them so well. And so he can just be like, this is exactly how I'm going to stick to the rules. And this is exactly how I'm going to 
like explore my own artistic drive and it's it's fantastic to watch I love it yeah I love this movie uh I think it's a wonderful point of discussion and I'm Mm -hmm. excited to dig in further did you have any other thoughts Danny before we dive into a quick break and then come back yeah of course um I I don't think I have anything else to say uh I am really excited that we're finally doing this holding it in for after this break we'll be right back Listen close. You'll hear it in the rustle of the leaves and the whisper of the wind. In the falling snow and drifting clouds. The song of the road. The story of the people of this world. A soaring eagle, a scampering mouse, and the myths that surround them. They traveled through snow-dappled fields and across rolling oceans. To raucous festivals and somber forests. Not every journey needs a destination. Sometimes it's enough to wander and roam. Wander and Roam, an improvised pastoral story, releases Wednesdays at 8 a.m. Now we get to talk about like some really fun stuff. Yeah. Oh god. Um, yeah. So we want to talk about some of the themes of the movie and how the themes intersect with the characters and um, some of the stuff that we just like thought was interesting and wanted to talk about. So um, thought we could start with the story of Gordy and Gordy's home and some true. Honestly, the most terrifying thing that was in this movie, like for me, pretty nightmare inducing. Yeah, like <laughs> I remember, like when I saw this, I went to work the next day, and I was like, "Dude, like one of the scenes in this movie is probably one of the scaredest moments I've had in a theater." Um, and not just be- like not because it was like horror or demons, but because it was just brutal. So the movie actually opens with uh, sort of a, a fading out uh, voiceover that sounds like a sitcom and there's like laughter in the background and then you hear a few pops and then it cuts to a shoe standing upright on a floor mm-hmm. and it's this really weird kind of scary thing that pans out and then you see a chimpanzee uh, covered in blood mm-hmm. and mauling someone mm-hmm. and that's how the movie opens mm-hmm. And then you get no context for it before you cut over to the horse uh, ranch and the scene where um, uh, Otis Haywood Sr. dies. But we want to talk... It takes a while before you realize how this connects with the themes and the narrative. But it's uh, basically, we wanted to introduce this story beat because it's a very essential part of the themes that are examined in this movie. So Gordy, this chimpanzee, was playing a character named Gordy, and they were on a live TV set, and it went crazy. And one of the kid actors there was named Jupe. And this is the kid actor who, uh, well, he wasn't his named Jupe. Yeah, his his char- but he still yeah, but goes his, by Jupe. Yeah, Jupe he goes by Jupe. Which is yeah. telling. Yes, definitely. So he. Uh, his name's Ricky. 
Ricky. His, yeah. Uh, his like, yeah. So Christian name, if you will. So this character uh, witnesses a chimpanzee going absolutely like, nuts when the he's entire a kid. Cast, he's like 12, maybe. He's hiding under a table. Yeah. Witnessing this massacre. Yeah. Um, and you see... Like, in a later scene, it kind of, like, goes back and, and shows you what happened with Gordy, right? And you see that this kid, he, like, played Gordy's best friend, essentially. And they had this, like, moment. And he thought maybe Gordy, like, wasn't going to hurt him. He was hiding under a table. Gordy saw him and Made came towards him. Made eye contact. Him. And <laughs> that moment, though, can I just say, when so Gordy scary. makes eye contact with baby Jupe, oh my, my heart dropped. I was like... No, 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 no. Oh my God, he's coming for him. I was genuinely like, I'm about to see someone get ripped apart. This is not how I thought this movie would go. But like, yeah, it's... But then the little fist pops out. Yeah, and they they start going for a little fist bump. A little fist bump. And then gunshots ring out and Gordy falls to the ground and you cut back to Ricky who now has blood splashed across his face. Yeah. But he was spared. He was spared. He's he the survived. miracle child. He survived. The boy who lived. Yeah. <laughs> he survived. Uh, I can't remember how long they said it was. Six, like six minutes, minutes and like 17 seconds of yeah. havoc as he explains Just like it. absolute Horror. this wild animal in a room full of people and lights and sound and wires. Like that would be a nightmare scenario. Um, but. It's what's really interesting. So this is like all sort of emotional setup for the character of Jupe. Mm. Um, and when we see him later in life, he has processed the trauma of seeing people like beaten savagely by a wild animal. He's processed it in a super interesting way. Um, so he's sort of like a washed up kid actor. Right. But his, uh, you know, Jupiter's claim, which is the sort of kitschy little town that he owns even though he's, you know, seemed to move on, he has kept all of this, like, drama from the Gordy incident, and he has made it a part of his life, which mm-hmm. is very interesting. Um, yeah, like... Yeah, he, he prides himself in this bit of history from his life because of the fact that the entire world couldn't get enough of it. Mm-hmm. People were obsessed with this story. Yeah. Um, he, he, in his office, he has memorabilia everywhere. Um, Including that shoe that was standing yeah. up upright. Which the shoe so- of his co-star, yeah. who is the the girl that we meet later, who shows up to his little yeah. show. Um, was like permanently Yeah, but he has that show displayed. And then he has that like secret room. He has this really cool secret door behind the like mad TV um, uh, cover. cover of the Gordy's home massacre. And yeah, he's like, yeah, there's actually a really big like Gordy following now. Like there's a Dutch couple who paid me $50,000 to just stay the night in this like secret room full of all the memorabilia. Like, what the hell? <laughs> and it's, it's so interesting because like we're introduced to his relationship with the Gordy's home incident when he when um, Emerald and OJ come over to like do a business deal with him. Right. And Emerald asks like one question and then he's like, oh, my God, let me tell you everything. Like, yeah. let me he, let me expose you to this. He was crazy. Spectacle. Not at all hesitant to share everything. Yeah. yeah. He was like, this is what he does. And also it felt very like practiced and rehearsed. Like I've told oh. the story so many times. Oh, yeah. This was not yeah. his first time at all. It, he, yeah. It's like he allowed so much of himself to be sort of defined by that. 
because it, it was sort of like not monetizable, but like it was the thing that made him interesting. It was his identity. Yeah, yeah, totally. put him on on the maps. And no, but he totally does like monetize all of it as well. Yeah, true. Like that's that's yeah. a huge part of. I mean, there's there's other like viable parts of his business that mm-hmm. are separate from that but it's still a very central part yeah and he seems very stuck in the mindset because like so he he was on gordy's home but before that he was uh kid sheriff yeah he was in a show called kid sheriff and it seems like a lot of the branding from that got transferred over to jupiter's claim and so so many things like i mean i've moved on from the things i did when i was 12 and the emotional experiences that i had but he's very much stuck in that moment. And it's not even that he hasn't healed from the trauma. He just doesn't know that he, like, needs to heal, I think. I don't think there's a self-awareness there. I, yeah. think, I think that from such a young age, I mean, this, this is, like, a whole separate tangent that I won't get into. But, like, the concept of child actors and just, like... Oh, my God. No. Was, yeah. No. Like, what they go through. Um, so there's trauma for like any child actor but then layered with this like very specific trauma that he has endured mm-hmm. um i think that he is just i think you're right that he doesn't even necessarily i don't think he allows himself to address that yeah because there are flashes like i, I don't know if now is an okay to get in time yeah, to yeah. get into this but you brought up when emerald and oj uh, show up to his office and that's the first time we're introduced to like his version of what happened um and emerald says like because he kind of gives his watered down version of what happened and she's like what really happened man and he's like oh you haven't seen the snl sketch gordy song you haven't seen it and and she's like no no and and he begins to spin the tale through the lens of this saturday night live Mm -hmm. sketch in this make-believe world with actual actors he talks about like Catan played the chimp and I can't remember who else he said was in it but actual comedians Um, but all of these actors portraying this incident that happened this massacre Mm -hmm. and he he's just he's like it was so good it was so amazing he was crushing it it was just the best thing ever and like while he's telling this story with his voiceover it then cuts to young jupe under the table just a close-up of his face horrified and so we kind of see this like separation of like he he chooses to tell what happened through the lens of like another spectacle right because and and specifically through like a a farce of what happened you Mm -hmm. know like he can't confront the reality of it because the reality is he was hiding under a table he was petrified yes and it changed him as a person but when you're not able to address that and maybe like because one of the themes of this is the monetization of trauma and spectacle, mm-hmm. right? Um, which we'll definitely go into more. And the, Gordy and Jupe really set that up, right? Because he has, I guess, if I went through something traumatic when I was 12, and then a couple months later, there was an SNL sketch about it. I mean, that would, like, that gives you a lot of attention. And, like, when you're a child actor, you do need that attention to keep your career going but also like how do you acknowledge that like no this was a terrible thing 
I, it it changed me and it really really wrecked and me. How do you not disassociate? Because exactly. like when you're you seeing have to be... your personal trauma played mm-hmm. out in this comedic light, uh-huh. how do you not just completely detach yourself from that? Totally. And it's really interesting because like most of the ways that he talks about the incident are focused on others' perception of it or others' interpretation of it. Like, he doesn't give you any details that you couldn't have gotten from a Wikipedia article. Yeah. And so that distancing, mm-hmm. yeah, it's it, he's packaged it. He's repackaged it for consumption because that's the yes. easiest way to process it. Yes. Yeah. And it's heartbreaking. And totally. also it really changes sort of the direction of his world's later in the movie Mm -hmm. because of the lessons that he learned and the lessons that he didn't learn when he was interacting with Gordy. Yep. Yeah. hundred percent. Um, yeah. So this is maybe a little bit of a non sequitur, but on the subject of Gordy. Um, so I read that there's like a bonus feature. So, okay. So the, the dude who who played Gordy because they did some motion capturing. Right. His name is Terry Notary. It did Notary. look like Rise of the Planets of the Apes a little. It bit. was that same yeah. actor. So Terry oh, Notary. Yeah. Okay. He yeah. he Should. yeah he's great and he also was in I don't know if you ever saw the Square. Um, it was an is art that house like a film. French art house yes. film? I've heard of it. I There's, think I listened to a podcast about it. It's a trip. <laughs> <laughs> um, but there's a scene where he as a human basically portrays a monkey or a chimp i think it was a chimp yes in like this like fine dining kind of like very like upper class situation and he goes ape shit literally um but anyway it's that actor and jordan peele talks about like how he was so excited to get to work with him because he's like a master um but anyway there's a bonus feature apparently on the blu-ray where you see the non like like the actual um original footage of him like like wailing on everyone and like the whole and it's like apparently one of the most jarring things ever to see and i kind of want to watch it that does sound like it would be really (laughs) yeah really weird yeah because he's he's very very good at at movement acting Mm -hmm. um yeah yeah, i I can't imagine he's made a whole career out of it um but yeah i i think so with the whole Gordy thing, and, and we'll we'll talk more about how it kind of ties into all of the themes that we have going mm-hmm. on here. But we do want to establish some other stuff mm-hmm. first. Yeah. But I will say right here and now, I read a lot of reviews and heard some interviews of just kind of like spectators who struggled with the subplot of mm. Gordy's home. Gordy's home? Gordy's yeah. house? Gordy's, Gordy's home? home. Um structurally they felt like it was a stretch they felt like it never fully um made it clear what what how it related to the themes and i completely disagree honestly it worked so well for me some people were like we wish that it just didn't exist at all i'm like are you missing like droop's entire story and this like how it's literally it frames it's commentating on spectacle and like this lack of awareness and like kind of this sense of like godliness that people cling to when they think that they have control over something so i will just say i think it really worked um i love that it opened up with that scene Mm -hmm. like you said danny like i was shitting myself like in the theater when that happened and i think that it's really cool how it like cuts back to it periodically throughout the film i think that like even when i mentioned when jupe was telling his kind of you know whimsical version of the story and then it cuts to his traumatic like 
POV. Like I think all of that works so well. Yeah. And that juxtaposition. Yeah. And I think like, it's good writing. Yeah. And the thing is, like, this movie definitely understands that like narrative and story is super important, but also like it has to contribute to the theme. Because like mm-hmm. Gordy is definitely a part of the plot and the story, but it's there because of the themes and it's there because of the tone it adds to the movie, which like I think really comes from Jordan Peele's background as both a comedian and a horror director is because he's able to say like, okay, we can have this specific scene, not because like the monkey comes back in the end and it's a plot twist or something, but because of the way that it would cause the audience to react. Right. I think think people are wanting it to be more of like a Chekhov's gun kind of thing. Yeah. And it's like, no, like it's, it's, it's more than that even. It's like like the entrance to a haunted house, you know, mm, like you need something to set that vibe and be like, Oh, this is what we're going into. This is what we're dealing with. Yeah. And then there's even a juxtaposition because like the Gordy stuff is pretty dark and scary, but then the rest of the movie has a ton more energy. Mm -hmm. And so it draws your attention to that. And I think that like the sort of pseudo Brechtian way, no, it's not even Brechtian. It's like it, it draws your attention to the way that the story is being told. And I think that that is also that structurally contributes to the themes, right? Because you're thinking about how you're watching it. You're thinking about, it's an examination of this. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's self-reflexive in that sense. Exactly. Mm -hmm. You are building a relationship with the movie. Good point. I love that. Yeah. I, I do want to say, um, in general, like when we're when we're kind of looking at Ricky or Jupe as a character, what a charming, likable. I mean, part of that is just accredited to Stephen Yun as like a human and as an actor. He's fantastic. He, I love him. I love him so much. Um, he's he's really great. But yeah, I think that like the way that he handles and processes like his trauma is just a really rich part of the text um and also like i love that he runs this little village theme park with his family it's like Like his kids are involved and his wife like they're all just like killing it and it's it's fantastic they're adorable they they feel like real people even though we don't see them that much yeah totally like i feel attached to them somehow they're very well built characters Mm -hmm. and all all of the characters in this movie are well built like definitely we i think we want to transition into now talking about like i guess the main characters Mm -hmm. uh is oj and emerald haywood um because like oj is a really cool like foil for jupe and like oj and emerald are man they're such good characters dude like I, I love them. Uh, fantastically portrayed by Daniel Kaluuya and uh, Kiki Palmer. And just, you may have, like, if you haven't seen this movie, you definitely should. But, like, so much of the stuff that I've seen people commenting online about this movie is just, like, how well these characters are portrayed and how they, like, how they interact as brother and sister. Like, it's so real. It's very authentic. Like, I feel like I've definitely... banter. Yeah, like, I've had these conversations with my siblings sometimes, and just, like, the energy they approach themselves... They approach each other with. It's, like... It just feels good. It feels like a real family. Mm-hmm. Um, especially a real family who's grieving the loss of their dad, you right. know? Right. Yeah. Yeah, so when we meet OJ and Otis, uh, his dad, Mm -hmm. they're out, his dad's on the horse, uh, OJ's kind of working the ranch, you know, Mm -hmm. and suddenly, out of nowhere, 
things, random objects start to fly out of the sky yeah. at an alarming speed. Um, and one of those things, is it a nickel? A it's key? A nickel. It's a nickel. A nickel lodges itself into Otis's skull. It's like it, through his, his eye, eye. It goes through his eye. And it yeah. completely severs yeah. and something it, important back yeah. there. I don't know. And it's totally bonkers because like when that happens, so Otis is on a horse and OJ is kind of like walking away from him. And OJ turns around and he sees his dad still on the horse, yeah. but having already been hit by the nickel. And the horse takes a couple steps and then Otis falls off the horse and out of sight. Mm -hmm. And I just like, it's just really interesting. Like there are so many little details that all kind of make you think about what you're seeing on Mm. the screen and what you're not seeing. Um, Anyway, so OJ drives his dad to the hospital and the whole way he's like trying to get his dad to talk and he's sort of mumbling things. He's he's like like, trying to to get him to recite all the names of the horses on the ranch. I'm like, wow. But then later we see his uh, Otis's dead body, a and you disturbing see, shot oh, in yeah. the hospital. <laughs> really effective, though. Yeah. Like it, it's definitely like, hey, this is a horror movie. Yeah. Um, but like you see where the nickel went into his eye; it's just like split. It is. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. It's like mm-hmm. it is devastating, and you you uh, OJ plays his feelings very close to the chest, but the nuance with which Daniel Kaluuya approaches this performance oh. is masterful yes and it's just like so you can see him holding it in yeah like and just like it it's right all just like under the surface yeah and it really like it's a fantastic introduction to his character mm-hmm. how he approaches problems like he he's very much a problem solver and he yeah he he's a problem solver and he's he he's very much an introvert in yeah. the way that he executes his uh, solutions because he's not like we learn once we meet Emerald like he's not the people person she yeah. is like he is more of a like this thing is happening and this is how I react yes and Emerald is more of an insider you know yeah like he it, like he, she incites things it's almost like he he vision he visualizes what needs to happen step by step to get them to the solution and then with her help like they're a very good team because mm-hmm. not that she doesn't also have her own ideas like mm-hmm. she's also very self-sufficient mm-hmm. but like she's able to come in and navigate the plan in a way that's very effective and also brings more people in like she wins people's affection in that sense and the first time we see her it's very much that vibe so like oj it's several months after their dad dies this scene is heartbreaking it's really stressful yeah um like oj is on a film set with a horse and there's just a lot of stuff going on and obviously like he's being asked to manage the horse and manage the people and do the safety briefing and he just seems like so he's not really good for that yeah and and his sister's late so emerald's not there yet he's there to to wrangle the horse Mm -hmm. he is the horse whisperer and emerald is the the trainer yes exactly and the ad is like no we're ready to go now like we have we have like our a cast on set we're ready to go a team Mm -hmm. and do the safety meeting now and so you know he Starts kind of giving wilt? a little spiel yeah. and like people are like, louder, Finally. we can't hear you. And then all of a sudden Emerald shows up. Oh my God. And can I and just she, say, like she commands I, the room. I'm She's so, so gay. Oh my God. This movie was like, 
I was in love with like all of them because I'm like ah, Kiki Palmer shows up and I'm like I love you. She's like I love every her single style, time she's on screen. I'm like I want to hang out with this person yeah, so yeah. bad. Oh my god! And when yeah. they smoke their hobby weed, <laughs> this is later. I had to look that up. This is how out of touch I am. I'm like, what is hobby weed? What is hobby and weed? according to Urban Dictionary, it is <laughs> weed that people grow as a hobby, not to sell. And so maybe they grew I mean, their own cannabis i don't know um yeah it sounds like not a maybe it sounds like a thing yeah i guess um Um, i mean i think if i had a ranch in a state where it's legal like why not right yeah yeah uh but yeah so we meet her she has all the charisma she comes on stage and she gives the same spiel basically verbatim that oj was giving but so much energy yeah all of the energy that he was lacking um and this is where we learn about um, this kind of like uh, so something that I love about films like this is when it takes place in like a it's almost like magical realism a little bit because certain things are true like to our reality right like like they're naming off actors that are like true that exist in our world but then there are certain fabricated pieces that are not true so so one of the things is um part of their legacy right so it's like the haywood what are what is their name the haywood hollywood horses haywood hollywood horses yes was that their great 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 grandfather was the first captured so the first like actor in history to be in film and it was a black jockey um and so yeah riding a horse um so a little bit of background here it's a little foggy because it's kind of debated um, amongst like historians what was actually the first film captured, um, but people say that it was uh, in, in eighteen in the eighteen seventies and it was um, a series of jockeys riding a horse. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, so I, I won't get into all the nitty gritty. But essentially, the the one that Jordan Peele uses was in fact film from the 1800s but it wasn't the first film in history it was like one of the later ones like 10 years later um and the actor who's on it it's actually debated as to whether or not he was black because of the way that it was shot it captured everyone's silhouettes and so it was difficult to tell but there is like there's record of one of the jockeys because it was several jockeys Mm -hmm. in that film that they used um and one of the jockeys was allegedly African-American. Um, but the interesting thing is, like, in our reality, so yes, like, there very well could be one of the first films uh, had a black jockey in it, but we don't have his name. We have the horse's name. We we know what the horse's name is. I think it was G. Annie or something. Um, but we don't have the name of this actor. It was lost to history. And so... I feel it, okay... Just a quick sidebar. Yeah, yeah. I feel like if I were recording a film for the first time in history, I would write down who was there, you know? You might want to, like, record those details. Yeah, maybe. Anyway. But they didn't realize what they were accomplishing, I guess. Um, Not taking account of future historians over here. Fuck them. Right. (laughs) But, yeah, so, like, this kind of speaks to another theme that is very important in this film, and that is black erasure, mm-hmm. um, specifically in Hollywood and film history. Um, I love that Jordan Peele planted this little, like, pseudo-film history fact 
about, you know, their great, great, great grandfather being the first actor ever to be captured in film and it being a black man. Like, that's so powerful. Um, And also, like, the idea that, like, we, I mean, we've talked about this a few times before, just obviously, like, how problematic the industry is, how uh, it's completely run by a bunch of, like, old white dudes, you know, and... And I love that, like, he is basically, like, reclaiming that in a sense. Mm-hmm. And and then there are other parts, too, within the film. There are little, like, uh, Easter eggs kind of sprinkled throughout. Um, there, there's several, like, film posters that are hanging both in the Haywoods home and also I think there's one in Jupe's home, too, um, of, like, different Western movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of them is called um, Buck and the Preacher, and this is um, a Western film that featured black cowboys. Um, and it's... Which, if you don't know, that's a historical reality. Like, most cowboys were not white. Yeah. That's like a John Wayne bullshit thing. And yet, the Western genre was just completely, like, run over by Yeah, because, like, the re- <laughs> like, reality is diverse. Reality has people other than white people. But for some reason, they didn't seem to notice that between, like, the 40s and... We're still know. working on it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so, uh, and also, like, that movie, like, I had never heard of Buck and the Preacher. Like, mm-hmm. to be fair, I'm not very well versed in the Western genre. Um, but he did talk, Jordan Peele talked about how that movie specifically is not really included in, like, the oeuvre, if you will, mm-hmm. of, like, Western films in general. Yeah. And, and, you know, just... Another little nugget of, like, black erasure here. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I think that's all I had to say about yeah. that. I also, I, I like that, like, that, the story about the jockey. So, um, it's very tied to who OJ and Emerald are, their relationship with their dad, their relationship with their past. And also, it was one of the first things that was in, like, uh, one of the first trailers for this movie, yeah. So it's like it's setting that up and, mm-hmm. and it's letting you know that like this movie is very into the way that people look at each other mm. and how and, they're perceived. Exactly. And, and also like I think so I was thinking about kind of OJ's motive and we'll get more into this. But like as far as them trying to capture the alien on film yeah. and which we've like barely talked about. I know which is like huge we but we're, we're getting into jacket, that yeah. now um right which yeah. is like the whole premise of the film um but see there's so many rich uh, fuck themes the, fuck what happens in the movie talk to me about the, what it means how does it make you feel yeah. that's what matters it makes me feel awesome awesome yeah. um okay so Help me track the um, breadcrumbs. Where are they? Something about... uh, Oh, their motives. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So... so Yeah, let's dive into Yeah, this is perfect time. So I feel like with OJ, and this is is kind of my personal take, so I'm curious to see how you feel about Mm -hmm. this, Danny. Um, OJ is very... He has a lot of pride in the ranch. Mm -hmm. He has... You were talking about, you know, the legacy of their great, great, great grandfather, mm-hmm. like, you know, having this like huge legacy. And after his father passed away um, and even before, like when his father was still alive, they were still struggling to keep mm-hmm. the ranch going, even with, you know, this 
very well regarded uh, horse wrangler because that's everyone respected their dad. Oh, like yes, he yeah. he had he got a lot of gigs. <laughs> I love also. Okay, little side note: how they worked on Scorpion King. <laughs> like I know, fucking right? love that like, little tidbit. Actual, yeah, yeah that's so good. Um, but yeah, so I feel like Otis or not Otis uh, OJ is Otis Jr. is very um, hell bent on saving the ranch and upholding the family legacy. Mm -hmm. And he sees getting the alien on film as a way to, as a means to continue the legacy of the ranch. And And it is is super interesting because like, personally, that would not be my first reaction. Mm -hmm. Like, because he has an experience he sees one of the horses like run out of the arena and then he thinks he sees a ufo right he sees something and then and then he talks to emerald about it who immediately believes him which is super great yeah but then their excuse me um but then their first reaction is to go and get cameras so that they can capture this thing and like one of the plot points is that the uh the alien ship like it shuts down electronics, right? Mm-hmm. Well, I don't need to like. No, that. yeah, no, that's yeah, a good it, point. It, so it, it shuts down important. electronics. Mm-hmm. So like, it's it's hard to get that shot. But like, their immediate thing is like, we have to get this in public eye. We have to do this. We can get so much money from it. We can get fame. Like these are the things that we are pursuing, mm-hmm. and it all gets wrapped up in this idea of like that shot, that one moment. Yeah. I, I think Emerald calls it the Oprah moment. Yeah, right? yeah, 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 yeah. Like yeah. that is what they are so driven by, and mm-hmm. the fact that the two main characters, all of the main characters actually, are all so obsessed with like this potential spectacle, this alien that they have access to, and the alien doesn't really count for anything if they can't bring it to people, if they can't show it to people, if they can't get people's eyes on it because at its core, it's a spectacle. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of fucking cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the core of everything. Yeah, yeah. totally. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I think, so for me, I feel like Emerald, you know, when she shows up on set that first day, she starts, um, advertising all of her own services, right? Mm-hmm. She's like, I'm making me grilled cheese. If you need crafty, hit me up. Yeah. Like, I do motorcycles, baby. Like, I do it all. Like, everything. I direct, singing, I write, dancing. I do a little singing on the side. I love She's her so, so much. Um, but yeah, she, I think she is more interested in making a name for herself. Mm-hmm. And of course, she loves her brother and she wants to save the ranch. But like, we learned that when Jupe, when, when he, when the first time, OJ goes to, you know, sell one of the horses. Um, we find out that Jupe offered to buy the ranch. Mm-hmm. And Emerald is like, how much? Like, yeah. uh, why are we passing this up, you know? Because she's less concerned about upholding this legacy in the same way. And she wants to turn it into something new. She yeah. She wants to kind of like evolve it. Yeah. And I don't think it's just for her. I mean, I think that she definitely considers her brother as well. Mm -hmm. But she, if you think about it, she was always kind of excluded from the family business before that because she talks about the name of the alien jean jacket was the name of the horse that she was supposed to get to train. That's true. But they didn't let her. Her dad didn't let her because it was for Scorpion King. And he was like, you're not ready for this. Let me. Okay. That that scene, you just because I hadn't really thought about that. But like. 
so Emerald is more of an insider. She's more focused on the future and, and that. And then OJ is more rooted. And it does kind of come down to their relationships with their dad, right? Because like totally. he was hands on. He was always exposed to the horses. And she, what, when she was nine, she was supposed to be able to train a, a horse. And then she wasn't able to because they got the Scorpion King. Mm-hmm. And there's this part where they're like st- uh, sitting in the house and she's looking down at the arena and she's like, I remember looking down and like seeing you mm-hmm. and dad training my horse. And like that. And then OJ looks up mm-hmm. and OJ sees her. And he does the little like, I'm watching you. Yeah, it's it's thing. more it's more of this looking up. It's more the connection that you get when you look at someone. And so that distance that she had like definitely impacted her. But yeah, I, I guess because it's so interesting because functionally like the thing that they are pursuing is the same they're trying to get that shot of the alien but the reasons for it and and like to a certain extent the thing that they want is the same right money and to like make sure that they're going to be okay but the reasons and the emotional core of it is different because she is pushing towards a future like uh, innovation and and something new Mm -hmm. and OJ has this real pride for like what has come before and this connection that he has to what's existed and to his father yeah and I think that both his father's death yeah and I think that both of those motivations are so good and so interesting especially in the context of filmmaking yeah because you have to be grounded you have to understand what came before it's like we were just talking about with Jordan Peele's understanding of the craft but the willingness to push the boundaries exactly innovate put yourself out there and like sometimes be a little awkward sometimes be a little like on the fringe but like to own that Mm -hmm. you know it's it's fantastic i also think since we're talking about well we're we're going to be talking about spectacle this whole time because that's what it's about but as far as their motives go Mm -hmm. so i feel like both oj and emerald have Pretty pure motives. I mean, as far as capturing the spectacle, yes, they're commodifying it. And that is like what we've been warned against. Right. In the in the opening title card, we have that quote from Nahum. And I will shit. What is it? It's like I will cast a plague or a punishment upon you. I will make you a spectacle. Yeah. Um, So obviously, you know, that's very telling and it's like setting the whole tone yeah Um, like the spectacle isn't a good thing it's dangerous it's bad to be yeah but But like if you think about it and maybe i'm jumping the gun here but like spoilers um we know that the haywood family survives Mm -hmm. other than their father otis but everyone else like jupe Mm-hmm. Jupe and his whole family and the whole audience who went to we haven't talked about that yet yeah, but, we'll, but everyone ends up um, being a casualty mm-hmm. of trying to capture the spectacle whereas Emerald and OJ and Angel who we haven't talked about yet either mm-hmm. <laughs> the electric amazing yeah. nerd that the we love best by guy um, yeah he but even even the DP ends up like dying because maybe his I don't know if it's clear that his motives weren't pure. I think it, his was he he was trying to get the perfect shot, right? Yeah. Like he he decided to sacrifice essentially his life so that they could capture this this shot in golden hour. Mm-hmm. Um, but like I do think it's really cool that the Haywood family they're spared mm-hmm. because I do think that when it comes down to it, 
they were trying to do a good thing. I mean, they weren't. I don't know. What do you think? I I I don't think it's that black. So and like white. I, I yeah, don't think I it's can that see binary. what you're saying. Like they are, they're very much like their intention allows them to be. But they do bring effective. other people into yeah. it. And I I would argue that like I don't think that like whether or not someone survives in this movie is an indication of like their motivations being pure or yeah. something. I think it's more about being distracted by the spectacle because uh, yeah. So, um, I don't know. I, I feel like we're jumping around. A little I know. Bit, but yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> uh, so I definitely once, uh, once OJ and Emerald are like starting to try and find the thing. Um, we do have a scene where Jupe, he like unveils his new like show and spectacle mm-hmm. to a bunch of families that are at Jupiter's claim. And he like, hangs one of the horses out for the uh, alien. To act as to, bait. Yeah, yeah, to act as bait for the alien. And it's implied that he's been doing this this whole time with, like, every horse that OJ has given him, uh, sold him, which is a bummer. Um, but, like, so you see the UFO approach and you see the horse, like, escapes. But Jupe, he is transfixed. He's staring up at this thing and, like, he loses his hat and all this stuff. But, like, he can't look away. Okay. I think he gets yeah. caught up in the yeah. spectacle. And yep. his relationship with the spectacle is different than um, OJ's and Emerald's. And I, I don't think that there is a black and white thing. Like, totally. that, that's right. I, I think that this movie is really good at engaging on a lot of different levels. Mm-hmm. And, like, the sort of symbols that we have are fluid and flexible enough and oh, there yeah. are enough it's like open to interpretation ties. so there's there, there are a lot of different like shades of gray and how people react and interact with the spectacle but jupe's relationship to he, he like lacks humility he thinks that he is special and i think that that is the, totally. the thing that he learned or didn't learn or learned incorrectly from his interaction with Gordy, because Gordy was a spectacle. lesson away yeah. from... Gordy was a spectacle, and he thought that he was spared from, like, the injury and stuff. Maybe he thought he was special somehow. Mm-hmm. Because I, I think at one point he says, like, they chose me or something. Like, he thinks that he has some sort of relationship with the aliens, and they're going to, like, exploding fist bump him. Yeah. Right? <laughs> he doesn't know what he's dealing with. Mm-hmm. A lot like someone who interacts with a horse, and they, like... And the horse freaks out and kicks him or something. Mm-hmm. Like... Jupe doesn't understand that the spectacle is also dangerous and you can't let yourself be defined by it. You have to define the spectacle on your terms and frame it how you want it. And he, he didn't, he, no parameters were set. mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think you nailed it. Um, You hit it right on the nose because I remembered as I was kind of working that out in real time Mm -hmm. that the whole thing once they realize the the way to escape the the grasp of the alien is to not make eye contact you don't look at it which is OJ figures that out and that's such a cool metaphor yeah and so I think you're totally right if you allow yourself to get drawn into the spectacle and caught up in it and completely absorbed Mm -hmm. then you're going to lose all sense of any sort of like groundedness and reality and i think it's especially interesting that like the three things that sort of represent both spectacle and violence are all animals and oj is like the closest to the animals he understands them and he's worked with them the most right he's able to recognize patterns so like 
when um when he realizes that you're not supposed to look up at the at the alien so basically they learn that the the ufo is not a ship the ufo is itself a flying alien alien. (laughs) and it they learn this after it like swings down and devours everyone at jupe's show and then the scene after that the alien like barfs up a bunch of blood over the house can we talk about that scene scene. oh my god when when it's completely just flooding with blood it is just pouring down blood onto the home and we see that shot of them looking out the window and the the windows just being covered in blood that was some of the coolest shit like honestly such an incredible like and it felt like an homage to horror with like yeah, it was it's definitely very, like, horror but it's like Kubrick-esque in the yeah. sense that like Kubrick really owned like the huge waves of blood thing uh-huh. and, and it, like it was it, it did feels feel like, like a haunted house that. or something but actually like it's outside yeah yeah oh god that, um, that scene oh, it's so fantastic with me yeah and, like poor emerald and angel are inside the house not sure what's going on but like yeah yeah they, but they're also like we got to get the fuck out of here yeah. but also we don't want to go outside yeah and so it, after that um oj comes to the house and he's he's driving uh he gets there despite some giant metal horses i don't know uh <laughs> so he gets to the house and there's like he's not sure where the alien is and so he gets out of his truck and goes up to the uh van that angel drove there and in that in the van it's playing like on the radio i wear my sunglasses at night so i can and like uh oj like looks up at the alien at one point and then he has like a flash of memory about like don't look the horse in the eye like he is able yeah yeah, like he He is able to make those connections and say this is a dangerous thing yeah maybe i look down and he looks down and he survives puts it together it's so like it all comes together in this like crest of of anxiety and like not being sure where to look or what to do but hoping they get out okay it's it's fantastic um and it is so interesting that like the thing that they can't look at and the thing that they can't capture digitally is the thing that they have to look at is the thing that their whole purpose is to look at it yeah. Yeah, and so you have to find new innovative ways to experience the spectacle. Mhm. Um, without letting it consume you. Yeah. <laughs> Eat you alive. Exactly. And it does. I do want to talk a little bit. This isn't so much focusing on the themes. Mm-hmm. Um but as far as Jordan Peele managing to create his own spectacle with this gorgeous design of this creature i want to i want to get to that when we talk about like the climax thing do you think we can take a break real quick we can i i okay let's pause yeah so uh, we want to talk before i get in yeah before we get into the alien design again i just love to jump the gun uh yeah but we yeah we're gonna take a quick break and then come back and discuss like yeah the whole climax and kind of how these themes and the narrative all interact to give us like one of my favorite climaxes of last year. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, we'll see you soon. And that's saying something. We'll be back. <laughs> Winterhawk Podcasting presents Lower 48, a horror storytelling podcast presented bi-weekly starting March 8th. Listen on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Hello. Hi. We back. We're back. Uh, and yeah, we we want to talk about the climax of the movie and what it says about the characters and what it says about spectacle. The um, amazing teamwork that ensues. Yeah. First of all, I want to talk about the structure of this because it's not super related to the themes, but like the high adventure aspect of of the climax of this movie is really, really impressive. So it's not that it was like a slow burn or anything before, but it it lines up this like perfect domino of like all of the things coming together. So basically to set up for the climax, um, uh, to frame the climax here in this context. um, So they... uh, Emerald and OJ, and then their friend Angel, who set up their cameras, um, after everything, they know that they only have, like, a limited amount of time until uh, tons of people come and, like, either get eaten by the alien or they, you know, get the shot. Word gets out and it's no longer there. And so, like, they only have a limited amount of time to capitalize on this and get that perfect shot. And so they reach out to Antler's Holst, who is the... DP from the commercial earlier and they invite him to be a part of this and he says yes like he um he's originally an, a little yeah he takes not, some convincing yeah but... but like once he figures out that there's an alien out there like you know yeah so he, he brings this like hand crank IMAX camera which is like so cool it's so badass I yeah. love that I love that he they don't even really have to like ask him in a specific way to bring that. And as soon as he's like, oh, I have a hand crank camera. Mm-hmm. We're fine. Yeah. I love that Emerald is like, see, I told you he knew what was up. Like he showed up. Also, I'm like, I just kind of thought about this. But So IMAX is like relative is a pretty newish technology. Mm-hmm. And then the hand crank is like old school technology. He, like you have to have a little bit of both. You have to have both the legacy and the innovation yeah, to it also get where you want to be. Speaks to that same theme. I yeah, love that. Like nice. Yeah, Jordan Peele's a genius. I like <laughs> that guy. Um, so they set up an IMAX camera, and Antlers and Angel are up on a hill trying to film this, and then OJ is going to be riding a horse out on the ranch to try and draw Jean Jacket out. And they also have, uh, in order to make sure that they know where it is, because sometimes it's hidden by clouds, in order to make sure they know where it is, they rig up those, like, sky dancers, like the the noodle guys, uh, and they all have, like, these uh, big, like, cartoony faces on. They rig those up to the car batteries the of everyone who died. The ones who resemble D from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in that one episode. <laughs> yes. Uh, so so they rig those up to the car batteries of the people who died at Jupiter's claim and they just like lay them out in this huge grid all along the uh, the ranch and it's so cool it's so fucking smart they utilize those to navigate work because yeah because because it kills kills all the electronics around it and and they can't always see it yeah and so this indicates where it's flying over and that's so cool um and so, like, it takes a little while, but eventually they see some of the Sky Dancers fall. And it's like, oh, it's eerie. It's so cool. Yeah. And then... It really builds the suspense. Yeah. And so OJ draws out the uh, But the we alien. didn't even talk about one of the... Really quick. Yes. The oh TMZ reporter. I forgot about the oh TMZ my fucking, reporter. But it fits right in here. Because yes, totally. as, tell me, tell me. as this is building, as they're about to unfold this like master plan right to get this perfect shot mm-hmm. and the stakes are so high 
all of a sudden come comes whizzing down the fucking road on this, an electric motorcycle yes with this like wild like daft punk helmet that has like a fucking camera in the helmet it's too chromey, it's yeah. all chromey you can't see the face and it's a tmz reporter so it's like you were saying they knew word was gonna get out yeah. it's already starting to trickle out because people disappeared from from jupe's uh, he disappeared. Yeah. Like they all disappeared. They got eaten by the alien, and yeah, no so one like, knew what happened to them. Yeah, yeah. TMZ reporter just right. inserts and, himself. In oh the worst my way. god! I just like love this reporter so much. He's just. I feel like it really embodies just like the toxicity of this, you know, paparazzi like like no form of privacy and and also how the industry treats that because it's like this this guy literally he's he oh he ends up like flipping off his bike because yeah. it's an electric bike right yeah, it's an electric and bike and the alien comes and he runs into the uh, like anti-electric the, yeah the like field and yeah. and he flips off and he's like badly injured yeah and the alien is like there and he's like my camera my camera yeah like oj comes up to help and the reporter is like dude like did you take a picture of that like you need to grab my camera and take a picture of how fucked up my arm is yeah and the pressure that those reporters are under like i've heard like horror stories about how they're treated and how it all like comes down on them you know the gig economy exactly and it's yeah i just i think that that was such a great addition there's so much pressure and like yeah it you learn a lot about spectacle by the way he interacts with this huge tragedy that happened. Yep. Like uh, 40, 50 people maybe are just vanished. And he's like, I'm going to go get pictures Uh and bother the people that live out there, which like, I mean, yeah. And he's just trying to make a buck for himself. (laughs) It kind of reminds me of like, no, that's a, my true crime tangent doesn't fit here, but Uh, I do have a true crime tangent (laughs) that we will eventually get to. Save that for another day. Yeah, when we cover Gone Girl. (gasps) Ooh, hell yeah. Um, So yeah, anyway, after this TMZ reporter mucks it all up by uh, just like throwing off the timing. Yes. um, Alien Jean Jacket eats him, sucks him up like a little tornado, and then... Camera and all. (laughs) Things just start to fall apart. Um, Well, no, they, they get the shot at one point. Like... Uh, yes. Hang on. It's been a while since I saw. Yeah. So yeah. So so antlers and angel are up on the hill, like you said, mm-hmm. and they do get the shot. Everything yeah. goes down well. Yeah. Um. The alien kind of retreats, mm-hmm. but then so they're like, okay, we got it. Like, yeah. are you locked and loaded? Like, you have everything's good. And then the sun starts to go down, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden, it's just the perfect lighting. And of course, Antlers, being a true cinematographer, is like, oh, "The light, it's perfect. It's we have it's golden hour. We have to we have to get it again. It's yeah. the perfect light." And so, so he like hikes up the hill. And starts taking video again with this IMAX And camera. Angel... Angel's like, dude, where Angel are you going? is very uneasy about yeah. this. I think he has everyone a, is because he tells Emerald that it's happening. And she's like, wait, what? What? We got it, right? Yeah. Like, what are you doing? But he... Yeah, Antlers goes up the hill and he finds himself drawn into Jean Jacket, just staring at it. But he also is rolling the camera the whole time. And when he is sucked up into the alien to be consumed... Um, I don't know. You, he has a look on his face that is definitely one of horror, but also sort of one of sublime triumph. Mm-hmm. I think like I it seems like a culmination for this character because he has never really been about like creating 
like he's always just been about the perfect shot and he tells emerald a couple times like um if you're trying to get that perfect shot where you're standing on a mountain and stuff you'll never get it or mm-hmm. something to that extent but he does get it yeah and, and and he's also very like he isn't as caught up in the world of commodification i think mm-hmm. because he doesn't it's do it for the artistic, money yeah it's yeah. an artistic expression and he mentioned that he does one for him and one for them you know yeah. and this was one for him and so maybe he and the tmz guy are like sort of not not foils because they're not in the same situation but they are two people who were destroyed by the spectacle Mm -hmm. one of them it was definitely an accident but antlers i think he knew what he was getting into and he thought he was worth it it was worth it anyway yeah it's almost like he transcended the perfect shot like he became he became the perfect shot shot. yeah which i am not a director (laughs) i'm not a dp i don't think i can uh like relate to that but there are things that i would absolutely die for in that way and like yeah yeah, i and also he couldn't look away not that Mm. he was transfixed in the same way that jupe jupe was in his own way he had to behold it to capture it Mm -hmm. and to love the shot Mm -hmm. and so he couldn't look away yeah um i love it anyway so after he dies the alien starts kind of you know fucking him up uh it almost sucks up angel but he like manages to tangle himself in some barbed wire uh and i think he saves the film i'm not totally sure mm-hmm. um but emerald gets trapped out on the ranch somehow she's trying to help um she's trying to help oj and eventually so while they're doing that the alien before it was a um flying saucer oh, yeah. That is, it's kind of shaped like a cowboy brim hat, right? Mm-hmm. It's tan. It's got this big hole in the middle. But it was a very plain UFO. Mm-hmm. But as the climax unfolds, so does Jean Jacket. And it expands into this, like, it's like seeing sails on a ship, but organic. It has, like, ribbons. Flowing. And, like- yeah. There's, it, it fills up with air and, like, spreads itself out like a parachute, but in this gorgeous, like, almost irisy way mm-hmm. and it is it transfixes you like and the whole time you see emerald and oj steadily not looking up at it like a couple times they like catch a glimpse but this thing is evolving and developing in front of them but they know they can't get sucked in they know that whatever it is they can't engage with it on its terms they have to escape and be safe mm-hmm. before they can be like, oh, wow, how pretty, you know? Um, and also, um, Jordan Peele confirmed that the design was influenced by Neon Genesis Evangelion. Oh, which I've I'm never not seen familiar that, but with, but I've, I've heard really good things, and I've seen some clips of, yeah. like, uh, the animation from that, mm-hmm. and, yeah, it was inspired by that. And yeah. also, like... Um, kind of like the true form of like an angel. Yeah. And <laughs> I would I would terror. describe it as like a gossamer kaiju or Ooh, something. Like it's it's yeah. gorgeous. It's a pleasure to watch on on the screen. And also like combined with Peel's uh and Hoyt Van Hoyt Hoytema. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Co- like their ability to capture the expanse and the God. scope and the gorgeous like the the sky and how it sort of lords over the ranch the alien becomes like it, it's a relief to see it like yeah. as the audience you feel lucky that you're able to look at it without dying yes it is 
so cool. It's astonishing. Yeah. <laughs> so Emerald uh, gets on the electric bike that the TMZ reporter left. And so she can't move anywhere until Jean Jacket is a little further from her. And so she uh, and OJ are like trying to basically save each other. One is on one side of Jean Jacket and the other's on the other. And yeah, uh, OJ lures it away from her so that she can drive away on the electric motorcycle and then she gets back to jupe's claim i'm sorry i'm so excited about this i love part. it no so, go off <laughs> um okay jordan peele must be an anime fan because we get a live action akira slide in this movie that is oh, oh yeah so he, good yes so his colors are showing for sure yeah <laughs> I love so it. she uh takes the electric um she <laughs> she takes the electric bike over to jupe's claim and she uh akira slides to this well where you can like turn a crank and get like a photo or something and she oh my gosh she releases this big like inflatable jupe that is at jupiter's claim yeah uh she releases it into the sky and then she starts putting uh coins into the well and starts cranking this thing that will make it take a picture it's like this old-timey like flashbulb thing going off and it's i mean it's a tourist trap and so that's kind of what it's like you look into the well and you crank the thing and you get a picture but she like while she's doing it she is watching jean jacket um fly towards this inflatable uh like jupe i guess it's an inflatable little cowboy yeah and it attacks the cowboy and as it does she takes the picture yes it flashes she's so resourceful oh my god God. it's beautiful and then jean jacket consumes the inflatable thing and it blows up yep but the the inflatable giant jupe was his nemesis yeah i mean i don't think i would feel very good if i ate a balloon hole and then it popped inside me especially if i were made of like a very thin skin i don't know who knows? What, yeah. yeah, that yeah, it's billowy, whatever it is. <laughs> but I that um that moment, like the, it, she's getting the perfect shot in that moment, and it's framed perfectly, and it's gorgeous. You see it like print instantly onto this, uh, like you know, the what do you call it? The, the film. souvenir film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And she got the shot, and I love that after they complete this like insane triumph we Mm -hmm. see oj show up on the horse framed perfectly under that um the wooden arch you know Yeah, it says like out yonder yeah yeah and it's like such uh it's it's such an iconic because you you didn't know what happened to oj after she drove away from him he may have died but then and like it's kind of seems that she's stressed about that too Mm -hmm. and then she looks out and sees that he's on a horse which is where we met his dad. Yeah. He's on a horse standing in this like well-framed uh, thing um, out of the fog. And it's like, it's perfect. Like both mm-hmm. of these characters got exactly what they wanted. And like a lot of things went wrong, but they had the experience with the spectacle that they needed. Yeah. And, and they stayed tied together. Like I yeah. feel like, a lot of times when we have, especially like a brother-sister type relationship mm-hmm. or like a platonic relationship, these types of challenges can tear people apart, mm-hmm. right? It can bring up a lot of 
um, conflict, which of course, yeah. like that's life. But I love that they stayed, even if they kind of butted heads sometimes, like they still were able to support each other. Yeah, and, and work together the whole yeah, time. Yeah, work together. I love that. Yeah, and I also like probably my last point that I want to make is that so Emerald is taking these pictures. She's turning the crank several times. And uh, so she gets multiple shots of it. And when you see it in the stack there with the souvenir film, it sort of reminds you of the series of pictures that were put together to put her great, great, great grandfather Mm -hmm. on a horse on film. Yes. And it's this great like bookend of her connecting to what she was or, or what where her family her came legacy from, yeah right because she i mean like we talked about earlier she felt a little um left out mm-hmm. and her her character intro i don't know if we said this explicitly but when she comes in and she's like oh the bahamian jockey that was on the first film strip was uh, my great 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 grandfather and then you see her later watching a film or, or a, a recording of her dad giving that exact same um, like spiel mm-hmm. and it looks like she's looking for that connection to her past her dad the things yeah. that she feels like she missed out on and I feel like that instant of getting the perfect shot something that no one has ever captured before it's an alien <laughs> getting that perfect shot especially since it's named Jean Jacket which was the horse that she missed out yes. on it's the conclusion of the things that she thought she missed out on and the the it's her finally connecting yes. to what she was missing the whole time. Validating yeah. her existence in this family and yeah. in this legacy. It and just like places her yeah. into the dynasty in a way that it seems like she felt distant from. And it is so good. Like, I mean, we've been talking for an hour and a half about how complex this all is, but it, it comes down to these people and what they need emotionally Mm -hmm. and how they get it it's beautiful that the two characters they get what they need and that is it's a happy ending we love a happy ending yeah and it didn't feel like fan service it Mm -hmm. it earned that it wasn't cheesy no yeah it was a very deep emotional journey Mm -hmm. to achieve those goals and I think they absolutely nailed it the way that the narrative was constructed perfectly set up these themes and this, uh, like, all of the conflicts that these characters interacted with, and and yeah, this oh God, guys, this movie is fucking perfect. Yeah, you should, I, you should rewatch it. I it's have been a while. no, I have no complaints about this movie. Uh, it was such a great movie to watch in theaters, and yes. just as good to play back mm-hmm. in my little home theater. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I think that. Jordan Peele really knocked it out of the park. 100%. I think that it was timely and also just groundbreaking in a lot of ways. Um, And I will remember to not allow myself to get caught up in the spectacle and to remain grounded in my own way and to be resourceful and to work as a team with my loved ones. Yeah. Exactly. We're a team, Danny. Yeah, we're a team, Summer. <laughs> yeah, it's it's important to keep those connections and not get caught up with everything. Like, know the legacy that you're coming from, innovate to move forward, yeah. and stay connected. You know? 
And how. And how. <laughs> thank oh. you. Thank you guys so much yes, for joining us today. This is so fun. Yeah. Um, it was good to be back on mic and talk about this movie. Uh, and we will have plenty more to come. Uh, please feel free to like suggest things in our Instagram or, or tweet us. You also, know, like, for those of you who have suggested things, thank you so much. We have not forgotten you. Like it's like actually maybe even one of our next ones will yeah. be one of the like listener suggestions because yeah. yes, they're very much on our list and yeah. we appreciate you yeah. telling us what you'd like to hear us uh, shout about. about. <laughs> yeah, I feel like the first couple episodes were for us, were for us to like get down our timing and mm-hmm. We want to start engaging with the things that everyone else is thinking about, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So you can follow us on Instagram or Twitter at bisexually underscore lit. You can email us at bisexually lit pod at gmail.com or follow us on Tumblr at bisexually lit And uh, also be sure to check out our podcast network, winterhawkpodcasting.com and follow them on all the socials. I think they're all Winterhawk Podcasting. And we will see you in two weeks. Yeah, we love you. Thank you for listening. We'll talk to you soon. Music by Gary Argyle. Bisexually Lit is a production of Winterhawk Podcasts. For more information, go to winterhawkpodcasting.com.